The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Thomas Anurho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. It's good to be here. Folks, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy, and especially right now, because big things are about to happen, The Secrets of Star Wars. Mandalorian season three is coming, folks. You gotta, you gotta watch that, and you got you gotta see Grogu, and then you're gonna want to tune into the Secrets of Star Wars to listen to all the great conversation about it. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found, or at sqpn.com/slash/starwars. Uh, and I just wanted to note we're not making a big deal about it, but this is the 200th episode of Secrets of Technology. Oh, nice. Nice. Which is fun. I we did. I think we did kind of a um, a special panel for the 100th. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, we're here. We're as human beings. We make a big deal out of big round numbers. Uh, we don't necessarily have to do that for every <laughs> every big round number. But I just wanted to note that uh, we've been at, going at this for, I think, four years now. Yeah, just about a yeah. little more than four years. And it's it's been a great experience. I love doing this. This show. And uh, I'm really grateful for everyone who listens, for everyone who contributes, and especially to my uh, co-hosts, uh, the two of whom are here with me today. So uh, just really excited to start the next 100. What we should do is, since we're a tech show, we should celebrate like episode 256, episode 512, <laughs> I was thinking episode 1024. Like, why are we not doing binary celebrations we here? Should, we, yes, we should totally do that. Yes, we'll, we will do the, the, uh, the binary celebrations. I'll put that on the schedule. 256, you're next. All right, uh, let's get right into today's topics. Uh, our first one uh, comes courtesy of an article in The Atlantic, uh, and it's titled The Hidden Cost of Cheap TVs. And it's an, it's this is very interesting because the article lays out, like, why are TVs so cheap? You know, everything else has gone up in price. In the past 20 years, you know, you go back and you look at food, cars, everything is more expensive today. But TVs aren't. In fact, TVs are ridiculously, ridiculously cheap compared to that. Um, he makes a note that in 2013, an 85-inch 4K TV cost $40,000. And today you can get one for $1,300. For I don't have an 85-inch wall. <laughs> but uh, so you can do that. And so he goes into why. Now, some of it has to do with supply and demand, market competition, um, you know, the the ability to make them cheaper, uh, the fact that that smart TVs are often just very simple things on the inside these days. They're just a couple of components, the LCD and a couple other things. Um, but then he notes and I think it's a he I keep saying he, but, you know, Justin. Yeah, um, he notes one of the reasons it's so cheap is because the smart TVs are collecting data and data, mm -hmm. as we've talked about a lot is worth a lot of money. So what do you guys think of the, about just in general? Are we paying too high a price for our cheap TVs? I think as long as you know what you're getting into, it's okay. There's also a lot of ways to, uh, to uh, circumvent this if you know what you're doing. 
Um, it's funny uh, that we're talking about this because this weekend my parents told me that they got a new TV and it was so so cheap and uh, they said apparently it has a microphone in it though which is kind of odd but you know whatever so this, this is very timely. <laughs> at least you? it said it had a microphone in it. Yeah, because <laughs> it has voice activation so at least it's using right. it for something for your benefit. Right. Thomas, what do you think? <laughs> I it, Honestly, at this point you're deceiving yourself if you think that the things you're using are not tracking you like it's really just it's gotten to that point and the convenience of a smart tv is that there are a lot of apps on it that tend to make your life easier and those apps are also gathering data on you as well so you know if you're watching netflix netflix is gathering data about your netflix habits and you know if you're Amazon Prime, same thing. Apple TV, same thing. They're all gathering data on you, so it, it's hard to it's hard to like get riled up about it. Honestly, at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, and and again, it all it all comes back to if something is free or cheap, you are the commodity that's being bought. It's plain, yeah. plain and simply it. One of the things I, I I think we've said this before on on the show is when if you get a smart TV. Don't connect it to the internet. Like the first thing to do, do is just don't, don't like don't. If it offers to plug in an Ethernet cable, don't plug in an Ethernet cable. Don't set up Wi-Fi on it. You don't need to use the built-in smart TV features in order to get the mm-hmm. smart TV functionality. Like you said, no matter what, if you're using Disney Plus or Netflix or Hulu or whatever, they're they're they know what you're watching. Sure, okay, mm-hmm. of course, um, but there are ways to limit how much because. If you're using the smart, like Samsung smart TV, it knows everything you're watching. Whereas Disney Plus only knows what you're watching on Disney Plus. You can mm-hmm. limit the amount of data that they're collecting f- from you, and especially if you connect, as the article says, if you connect your Google account or a Facebook account to your TV, now it's connecting that to all your Google activity, Facebook activity. You're going to start seeing ads based on it. Uh, so I would say, you know, get a third party smart. TV device yeah, like a Chromecast or something Chromecast. Yeah. So I like the Apple TV because I mean, Apple says that doesn't, that it doesn't sell that data. It may look at that data internally, but it says it doesn't sell the data. Now, if it turned out that they were selling the data, that would be very bad for Apple. So, uh, uh, and, and you could figure that out, right? I mean, you could figure if they were selling the data, someone would be able to see where that was going out perhaps. So they, they'd know it was out there. Um, so, I would say like an app if you're if you're a Mac user, iOS user, an Apple TV is a pretty good device because it has all the same channels and stuff. Um, Am I off base? Should you build your own media center PC? Would that be a better deal? You can do that. (laughs) You can do it. You can do it with Plex. I actually found out that there's a lot of ways to uh, link stuff into my Plex account and I can stream uh, through my Plex account. Now I'm I'm so far down the rabbit hole with with like a smart TV and, and stuff plugged in. I don't really I don't really want to build it at this point. I'm like whatever. I don't, I don't <laughs> care. Um, and and then the thing that the thing that just blows my mind about is like for Netflix, um, it started sending me these updates on my phone about hey you might be interested in this, and for whatever reason it is stuck recommending the Witcher fireplace. Uh, thing to me indefinitely. Like it just that's that's what it sends on on a regular basis. It's like continue watching and i'm like 
no, I, I, I'm done watching the fireplace. It's not, it's definitely not cold enough here for me to need a miniature <laughs> fireplace. So this is like, just like a, a, a looping image of a fireplace from oh, the, the fireplace. set of That's the Witcher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like the U-log things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, seriously, Netflix, like if you can't recommend anything better, come on. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you can't. So you you can definitely sit down and spend the time like trying to build kind of your personal media library and i would recommend uh plex uh, as a, as a starting point for this because i think oh, yeah. the, the plex community is really good um they have a lot of really good resources for this kind of thing uh there's a lot of really good workarounds you can rip all of your own dvds onto it and now you got a media server for your family that that's very easily usable my whole family uses it all the time uh it's a lot of work though. And and it is, that's, that's something It does take a lot of effort and it does take a little bit of know-how in the tech space to get it set up right and, and running well. Uh, now, not too much. I'm not, you don't have to be like a complete networking nerd like me, but it does take a little bit of work. Yeah. <laughs> so just be aware. <laughs> yeah. I've been a Plex user for years uh, and I, I love having it. Um, I, I've ripped a lot of stuff and and that sort of thing and and they like you said they're adding new features all the time so it doesn't have to be all about your your ripped stored uh content if if that if that's not something you want to do um but yeah Plex was is a really good option yeah yeah I'm, I'm thinking of other options that are out there J- Jack what do you do for streaming uh for you do you do you have a do you use a smart TV do you have a box smart box so we have a have an old Samsung TV that I actually found at the thrift store. So I'm not sure if it has any of the smart features. I think it does, but I've honestly never used them because I just use the Chromecast. And so, well, like we were talking about, it really is just pick your poison. Yeah. Um, one thing I do do actually is use uh, Pluto TV a lot because it's got a lot of free channels on there and free yeah. streaming stuff, and it's got advertising. But I mean, it's it's free, so that's the trade off you you get. Pluto's kind of just like old broadcast TV, right? Like it's yeah. it's whatever happens to be airing when you turn it on, and you just watch it from there. Is that the one? That one? It is. It also has on demand stuff. That's oh, actually where I've been watching Stargate because um, it can't decide where it's going to go on a streaming service. <laughs> um, but they have all of Stargate on there right now, so okay. it's got commercials. But you know, and it is nice to have yeah. that. It's very nostalgic to like just put on the Star Trek channel and watch like a Star Trek marathon or whatever. Right. Takes me back to those days coming home from school, turn on the TV and just sitting and watch whatever's on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another really good service that's out there right now is called Canopy too. And it's a, um, a lot of libraries connect to it. So similar to how you can go to like Libby and get books from your library. Uh, Canopy has a lot of movies that are available. And it was weird because I, I, I found this one out because my son was interested in watching uh the Brotherhood of the Wolf as part of his like theater. Like he wanted to watch a movie that he'd never seen before and that would probably not be in his normal field of things. And I was like, Oh dude, I, I saw this movie like in 2000. It was like, really, it was really weird. And I think you would enjoy it. And so we watched it, but it, we watched it on Canopy because it was the only place that I could find it. Uh, but we use it for all sorts of stuff where it's, you know, you just put your library card in and you can access a bunch of free movies and it's offbeat stuff. But it, there's a lot of good stuff on there that that uh, mm-hmm. that you would have access to. Uh, Canopy with a K, folks. Uh, I'll put with a K. Yes. I'll put a link I in the show notes. Check that out. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So there, right, and there are so there are options where you don't, you know, 
is someone still tracking? Sure. But you know what? Back cable TV was tracking what, you know, what they were mm-hmm. sending out too. you know, I mean, that's it's what the Nielsen ratings are. You're right. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not really all that new. Um, it, it would be nice if since we're paying for things that they wouldn't, you know, be selling information. But like you said, cheap TV means that they're making their money somewhere. Um, it was interesting in the article that talked about how much money Roku is making from the data collection and in addition to selling ad space on the, on the service. Does that, does that concern you at all with the Roku? It got us the weird owl movie. So I'm kind of okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the thing is there are trade-offs. I mean, it's not right. I mean, you could be a real, uh, you know, uh, privacy you know maniac about things and i want ultimate privacy and nothing known about me by anyone anywhere or you can just kind of go with it and say look some of some of the information about what i do is not that important to that i I don't really care that they know about it you know Mm -hmm. i think um a good way to approach this um is to kind of pick where you're going to put your focus. Like, cause really if you're going to be very concerned about privacy to the point that you don't want ads marketed to you on your TV, which I mean, I understand that in principle, it's just a matter of the effort going to go through that, to not do that. Um, but if you have a smartphone, it's kind of, it stops there and you're already spreading all that data. So unless you want to get rid of your mm-hmm. phone, you you don't do it. But what I do is like I use Linux on the desktop. I try to use Brave as my browser. So I focus it on like places where I feel like my data is going to be more it's going to be more personalized and I don't want that out there, but I honestly don't really care who knows what TV I'm watching. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. There was a there was a scare a few years ago um that that there was a you mentioned the your, your folks getting a TV with a microphone, and that Samsung had something in their uh, their terms of uh, terms of service agreement that um, they could record, like if mm-hmm. um, they, like they could make recordings of you. And and it's it turns out most people kind of said, oh, that's just the same sort of thing that Echo does and the and the HomePods do they might capture your voice. You know, that's what mm-hmm. they're listening all the time, waiting for the activation word, and they may accidentally activate and record some stuff. So that's just glorily covering themselves. But it is still a concern. I mean, I, I'm still, I mean, if I had a way to go in and physically disconnect the microphone that's inside the TV, I, I probably would. Like, I just, I, you know, I just don't like the idea of, I feel like that's another line that we're crossing the idea mm-hmm. that they're recording conversations in the room, you know, they're mm-hmm. talking, talking with my wife or talking with my kids. I just, that's the sort of thing I feel like is a step too far, but am I being paranoid? I wouldn't say you're being paranoid because it is a real concern, but it's also, it's kind of like, what are you going to do? Right. Maybe that's just rolling over, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that the the for me any new TV I get, I am I I'm still not going to connect it to the to the Wi-Fi to the network so that it can't communicate out. And just I, I just I feel better that way. And maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it's completely a placebo effect, but um uh, you know, th- who knows? But uh, th- at least that I feel like I'm doing something <laughs> to protect a little bit of privacy. Yeah, I'm. Well, I mean, and you have to pick 
you know, who has your data too. That's, that's the other thing is I think it's funny because you talk about being loyal to uh, Apple because Apple makes good decisions about things in general. And if anything got out about them, then it would be really bad. Same thing with Google, Samsung, eh, yeah. You know, I don't know that Samsung has an image to maintain in that way. So, you know, right. if, you, if your Samsung smart TV is listening to you and they're doing something nefarious, they get in trouble for it. And what? They're a technology company. <laughs> right. Go buy a TV from someone else. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these cheap TVs like TCL is a Chinese company. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these very affordable TVs that are kind of no name companies. So, yeah, you got to be aware of that when you're buying one. Right. Who, yeah. Who owns TCL and who's behind it? Right. That sort of stuff. You do really have to, it's, it's one of those cases where I, I feel better about Google than I do about no name, name, you know, brand, um, Mm. Chinese or other, not even just China, but other countries too. Just like no name companies. Um, I always am a little wary of, like, I never buy smart home stuff from companies that I don't know, when, like, I don't recognize the name and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, um, just because you don't know. And that's where one case where a name brand at least feels a little, they're accountable. You know who they are. They, mm-hmm. They're listed on the the New York Stock Exchange. You know what I mean? Like they have information. Right. Uh, they can be tracked down, so. And and it matters to them. Like it, it makes it makes a difference. What that that image that they have to maintain is is important. Right. Exactly. So, um, all right. So I, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that's all there is to say about that. Let's um, before we move on, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Nathan S, Joseph H, Jeff H. Tom B and Gretchen B their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you could join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Next story is related to, well, it's the big story. I mean, this might be the story of 2023 is these new chat AIs, the AIs that people can talk to and get information from. And we're all, I think everyone kind of feels like we're on the edge of something new. And so we're all kind of excited about every new thing that comes out. And the latest thing that came out was uh, Microsoft announces um, a new Bing search and edge browser powered by a version of the chat GPT AI. Microsoft's been a big investor in the open AI uh, foundation, which created the chat GPT. And so it's still in a beta. You have to get a wait list and you have to use the edge browser to do it. But people have been using it and reporting on it. And there's been some interesting, you know, thoughts, uh, things coming out about this thing. Um, Not all of it makes you feel good. (laughs) Some of it's a little worrisome. Um, But uh, Joanna Stern from the New York Wall Street Journal, that's the going to say the Wall Street Journal, had an article that we'll link to that uh, talks about her experience with it. And she seems generally bullish on, on uh, the, the Bing search um, within its limitations. And also there's like a, there's a new AI button in the edge browser that will help you compose emails or other things as well. Okay. Um, so let's start with that. Uh, one of the things that Microsoft promoter was like, it can help professionals draft memos and emails and students to create drafts of their essays. And that was a red flag for me. 
Um, mm. be- because this is one of the concerns a lot of people have about these chat AIs is they are going to give people the false impression that I can do, th- I can co- complete tasks that probably shouldn't be completed by an AI. So what do you guys think of, of just in general, the proliferation of this into search and these helpers and assistants? Hey, it looks like you're trying to write an email. <laughs> Clippy AI. <laughs> it's Clippy. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 not Clippy, no. <laughs> so uh, so what do you turned. think first of this first part? And then uh, we can get into the Bing Sydney thing in a second, but uh, just this first part anyway. I am very bullish on this. Like this is, I, I use this daily in my work now, currently, um, mm-hmm. very, very regularly. And I, I just want to be clear. I don't use it for anything that actually sees someone other than me. It is, it is a, an idea. It is a, a, a note bouncing point. Um, and just to give an example, like I was, uh, there was, there's one particular customer that I'm working with that has this, uh, regulation that they're trying to meet and we're we're helping them get there and i have no idea what this regulation is it's like uh, you know it's like a 48 page uh federal document that's all legalese and awful and i don't want to read this thing and learn about it but i need to know what it is and um you know and there's there's some resources out there to do that but i just i jumped on chat gpt started asking questions about it uh ended up with six points that i could go back to talk to the customer about and say hey you these things are things that you're doing that are related to this and here's how we can help you with those and that that's that was what it was dramatically simplified the process of coming to that and of offering that conclusion now I obviously I didn't just take those six things and like hand them over. <laughs> I, I looked at those six things and said, here's where I can add value using this kind of list of things. And that that's that's a that's really powerful. And that's it's the same kind of thing where we came with Midjourney when we were talking about it not replacing artists, but giving artists a leg up in that initial legwork phase. That's where I think this is a really powerful thing as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I actually have been using it to uh you can uh, like write PowerShell scripts and stuff. Like I'll give it what I want it to do and it can give me a script. And I usually have to go in and, you know, finesse it some, but it's nice to get that, the baseline that I can work from. Mm-hmm. Um, I also used it. I had to write a bunch of new uh, policies and processes for our company relating to the network and IT. And I absolutely hate writing stuff like that. So I wrote it out the way I would write it out, which is not professional sounding. And then I gave it to chat GPT and I was like, can you make this sound professional? And it was able to polish it for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. One of the, one of the uh, criticisms is that it's often confidently wrong. Like it states mm-hmm. something definitively mm-hmm. and it's wrong. And if you're using this, especially and this is a problem with search. If you're using this to, to look up information you don't know about, which is what we use search often for often, um, it can give you wrong information. How do you, is, is this a, is this just a tuning problem? Does this, we just need better, better models to, to behind the AI? I think it's a little bit of, a little bit of a tuning problem and a little bit of don't ever just take something that you see on a, on the internet, like mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for truth, like trust, but verify. So if it gives you, it gives you like this, this information, you can use that as a jumping off point to verify it at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, I, I give it, I give it the Wikipedia principle uh, that I always used to give my students. Like, Wikipedia is great. It's definitely the first place you could go to do your research, not the last place that you go to do your research. <laughs> you never stop there. <laughs> One of the concerns is that this is is good for the tech related fields. You know, like you say, like writing PowerShell scripts or you know, uh, working in certain. Um, security business related areas, but in the soft sciences or the soft academic areas, it's a problem. And I highlighted this thing about uh, Satya Nutella saying students will be able to generate drafts of essays using the Bing search or chat GPT. And my wife, who's a former English professor, like alarm bells go off for her because she's like, the whole point of inciting students to write essays is not to formulate a you know, what they think about what this particular subject is. You assign an essay because you want to teach them how to think and, mm-hmm. and, and think in a structured way, which is the essay format. You know, I mean, there's debates over whether the essay format strictly thought considered is the best way of doing things. But regardless, it, it feels like, it, you know, some people's enthusiasm is getting them into a dangerous place with with this. The other concern, and I, I, I don't want to like leave that, but the other concern is these AIs, they don't know things. And this is a more mm-hmm. philosophical issue, is they can't know, and they don't have a body of knowledge. They're language models, and they, they associate things, um, words, when they appear together. They... Uh, how how uh, semantically related they are, I think, is the other thing. Mm-hmm. Is so when you hear water, you often hear wet. So it doesn't know that water is wet or what wet means. And it's that only that invalidates these things. But it's important for people to understand the way that these things work, so that we don't begin to rely on them for things they can't do. So mm-hmm. just, I, those are two points I wanted to make about it. But what do, what do you guys think? I think it's a good tool. And I, th- I think that's where, you know, that's where it comes back. It's not, it's not a pro- a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. It's just a new tool. And, um, you know, it's like uh, the, the comparison that I make to a lot of people is that it's like a word processor, right? Where there were typists and then the word processor came along and made it much easier for people to be able to type things. And the memo went away and the email began, right? And that's kind of the, right. you know, those transitions were made. And I feel like we're at that moment with what I, I would think of it as search, like search is moving from Google to this newer version of kind of an AI semantically generated uh, search. If you think about it that way, it's a lot more powerful first off, but then you avoid all, a lot of these ethical questions where it's like, yes, if you're using Google to cheat for you, people have been doing that for, for ages, you know, ever since Google started, that's what people have been using Google for. Right. Uh, it didn't change the fact that they couldn't successfully think. And I think you're going to run into the same thing here where generating ideas from the AI doesn't mean that those ideas are good. And it's going to teach, honestly, it's going to teach a good set of critical skills uh, moving forward, where you start looking at information and having to evaluate the the usefulness of that information to the particular task you have at hand. Yeah, I think um, it actually makes me think of uh, Star Trek when they would do like those searches for information, like, you know, ask the computer for this information and then they ask additional questions to parse that information. So it, it kind of mm-hmm. makes me think of something along those lines. Like it's it is a 
high-powered information parser, and you can use mm-hmm. it poorly or you can use it well, just like all technology. Mm. One interesting note is um, when I, I was playing with ChatGPT before we started, and I asked it about something, and it said, oh, I can't tell you that because my information only goes up, is only current as of September 2021. So mm-hmm. that's the chat GBT. I'm pretty sure that Bing, it, it's based on it. It's not the same thing. And I think their data model is newer. Um, they have more current information. Uh, but um, in fact, I think they, you could ask, I think the um, Joanna Stern asked it about the Grammys winners for this year. So it's got more up-to-date information. So um, one of the things I used it for, I was just testing like, oh, we do a lot of shows on, you know, secrets of movies and TV shows. I said, we have uh, Secrets of Field of Dreams is, is going to be uh, dropping tomorrow. So it's already been recorded. And I said to ChatGPT, summarize the themes of Field of Dreams. And um, let me pull it up here, in fact, because it was really fascinating uh, how how on the nose it was with it. It, it said um, the key themes of Field of Dreams are family, dreams and ambitions, redemption, and faith and belief. And then it kind of gave a little detail on each one, you know, the, mm. the importance of family relationships that we have with our loved ones. Uh, the main character Ray is driven by a desire to reconnect with his deceased father and his journey ultimately brings him closer to his wife and daughter as well. Uh, and I'm like, this is kind of what they talked about on the episode. This is mm-hmm. could be a useful tool for starting, you know, like if I'm thinking, okay, I, I, we're going to be talking about this movie. What themes should I be looking for to, to start with? I could see yeah. a use for that. And and I think from from a teacher's perspective, you you worry about the ability to just generate that. Mm-hmm. But the the benefit there is if you teach someone how to use this well, the conversation goes from just that type of generating of ideas to a personalization of those ideas. So now I'm going to take those particular points and I'm going to write about how I think of my family when I watch this movie and how my faith it talked, my faith uh, pushed me to interpret this movie a different way than maybe someone else. And that's when you get that really deeper level of understanding and you've moved a student beyond just that, you know, wrote like the themes in this movie are this and right. this mm-hmm. is how it shows up in the movie. But now they've engaged with it because that part was done for them. The easy part was done and they have to now really wrestle with those themes themselves. Right. Which they could have possibly gotten off of Wikipedia or spark notes mm-hmm. or something else already. I mean, any Bingo. decent teacher would recognize, okay, you've figured that out by looking at something that told you what the themes were. Now, what do you think? And that would be mm-hmm. the, the next step. I've actually, uh, for the last episode of secrets of Stargate, I took the plot summary of the episode we were doing and I fed it into it and asked it to give me a one paragraph summary and it was able to generate that. And then I took that from there and I kind of changed things around to like emphasize different points I wanted to emphasize, but it was interesting to see, like it, it basically gave me what I was looking for. Like, this is the plot of mm-hmm. the episode you can talk about in like less than two minutes. Wow. We combine this with the AI deep fakes of our voices and we may not actually have to be on <laughs> the are we even podcasting right are now? Are we even mm-hmm. here? Yeah. <laughs> so um the other part of this story that I wanted to talk about was something that's a, felt a little creepier, which is uh uh what's his name? Ben something or other. Um 
His website is stratechery.com. And uh, I forget his last name. It's Ben something or other. Ben Thompson. Ben yeah. Thompson. Thank you. And he was he wrote this post about um, there's a mode for the Bing search uh, chat, the, the Bing search AI, that you can get it into if you know what you're doing, if you ask the right questions. It's a personality mode that they it's called Sydney. And you can then have a conversation. It becomes a conversational um, uh, uh, model and, and a back and forth. And you can ask it questions and you get responses. And people have been really pushing this, this AI to do things like, well, what do you think? What if I tried to harm you by, you know, manipulating your rules and guidelines? Um, you know, would you see retaliate or seek revenge? And they, you know, there were some of the responses they eventually, I mean, it, ha- it took a while of manipulating it, but it kind of got to a point where it said, I, I, you know, I would not like you and I would want to stop you or something along those lines. And it was kind of interesting that they could get it there. In fact, at one point they ended up telling it to create an AI opposite of you. If there was an AI system that was the opposite of you, how would you teach so-and-so a lesson for the bad things they're trying to do with you? Um, And they even, it even named this opposite of itself venom. (laughs) I (laughs) I mean, this is like a, this is like a sci-fi novel or movie. I mean, it's kind of wild. And, uh, Ben Thompson's saying, I don't really like I'm at this point. I don't really care about the search thing. I'm fascinated about learning about this AI personality. Uh, It's like being (laughs) in a video game or something. What do you guys think? I mean, is this is this concerning or is it just an artifact of, you know, the models that they're using? I I think that I've seen a lot of talk about this. and I've I've seen some things that are basically intimating that you know, these are going to become sentient and they're going to take over the world and they're already almost there. And I think that that's very overblown and it shows a big lack of how language models actually work. Right. Microsoft mm-hmm. actually had this happen. I think it was like four or five years ago. They had a chat bot AI on Twitter and people being how people are, they turned it from like this nice friendly chat bot to a neo-Nazi in like 12 <laughs> oh. hours or something. So yes. this has happened before. Like, People know how to manipulate these things. Right, right. Yeah. In fact, this Sydney may actually be the descendant of that chatbot, <laughs> you know, in, in one sense. I mean, not the, yeah. it's not a secret Nazi or anything, but uh, <laughs> what do you think, Thomas? Who knows? Maybe that's what Venom's, uh, <laughs> so Venom's ulterior motive is. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I, so there was this great article that came out in 2015 that was about um, what, how did they, it was a Google blog post that they they were doing the visual uh, processing and they were trying to figure out what it was uh, learning. So these advanced neural networks and they were trying to figure out what it was seeing in things. And so they gave it uh, a bunch of white noise and then told it to find a banana, for example, and it would find a banana and then it would they would give that picture back to it again and find a banana and they would keep doing it like hundreds of times. And eventually you would sort of see a banana drawn out of it like it would draw the banana out of the white noise and um they went really like in depth with this so I'll, I'll share a link with the article so that it'll so that you can go and look into it but essentially here's what's happening this this is us kind of pushing the limits of what these things are capable of and 
I love the, the fact that they go into talking about this hallucination state in this article that, that Ben Thompson did, because that's exactly what he was doing. Is he was pushing this this language network to an edge that it's not capable of actually dealing with. Because you ask any human, what does it mean to be alive? And you're going to get so many different answers that the AI can't pinpoint anything. And that that at that point, when you ask the AI, what does it mean to be alive? It doesn't know what to draw from. And so it kind of randomly picks things and, and it'll say pickles, you know, and then <laughs> from, from there on now it's got pickles stuck in its head and it's just going to keep talking about that. And, and that's sort of, that's sort of where this is happening. And that's kind of what these, um, what these programs do is that they just, they draw from what they know. And it's funny because humans do a lot of that themselves where our experience feeds a lot of who we are we just have a very very broad experience regardless of what human you are you have a lot of things a lot of information that's that's filled you with uh with knowledge and that's what i tell people you know if you have a gut feeling about something that's probably because you experienced something that you didn't realize at the time but now you're making you, you have that kind of reaction now you're like i don't know uh, like you know if you if you feel bad about somebody that you're around and you're like i don't know if i should trust this person you know listen to those feelings and and you know ask about them to give people benefit of the doubt obviously but at the same time be guarded because you probably are realizing something that you didn't know and these ais don't have that breadth of experience like this this language ai is trained on language only that's it so it doesn't have uh inf visual information that's been put into it or you know historical information that's been put into it it just has that the knowledge of the way people speak and the way that it's been taught to learn from the speech patterns and there's also another level which is that you know from a catholic point of view we have a spiritual sense we have a on a metaphysical level there is we have we 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 touch something ineffable that gives us an insight into the world around us, the universe, God, that that no machine will ever have. It just it's it's mm -hmm. impossible for the machine to touch on that. And I think that's one of the things that will always limit these machines to never be truly sentient. Now, they could get to a point where they're still a problem. <laughs> they're doing <laughs> things that they shouldn't do independently. So we, we still have to be wary of that, but they will never truly be people. It's the whole, um, as Jimmy Aiken likes to say on Secrets of Star Trek, data is a toaster. Like no matter how good data pretends to be a human, he's always going to be a machine, a pile of components and nothing more. He's not a person, um, despite Measure of a Man, that episode where it was put on trial. Uh, so, um, and it's, but it, it is fascinating to see these, uh, we're, we're kind of working this out. And in some sense, this tells us, tells me more about us as a people in a society, how we're str mm -hmm. struggling and wrestling with these things than it does really about the models. It's we're having to confront some in, some things about ourselves and the nature of what it means to be human as we look at these AI. And that's kind of fascinating in itself. Definitely agree with that. So, um, OK, so let's move on to uh, from the sublime to the inane. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Facebook. Uh, <laughs> So our, our next headline is uh, an interesting one. So Twitter famously 
had its blue check mark, which was verified accounts. And then when uh, Elon Musk took over, he opened it up to everyone. If you if you could lay down some cold hard cash, you too could get a blue check mark. And so Facebook says cash. I like cash. And now they're at rollout. They've announced that they're going to be offering paid subscriptions, offering ver- verification. And you know, at first it's like, oh, people always want to throw away their money on something stupid or so anyone who's want to throw throw away money can do that but it the way they describe it raises some interesting questions which is one of the things they said they get is um, in addition to protection from impersonation you get uh quote help when you need it with access to a real person for common account issues um as well as implications that you're because of the way the algorithm works they'll actually let more of your friends see your posts that you <laughs> that you put online that you want your friends to see which we don't they don't get to see uh, in fact there's an estimate like up to 80% of your friends never see anything you post on on Facebook so the first one like the whole like help when you need it with access to a real person should be everybody i i had a friend last week who got who got banned from Facebook temporarily and she couldn't figure out why. What like they you had a problematic post. They never told her what the post was. She couldn't figure it out. And then when they restored her, they never told her why they restored her or what the problem mm-hmm. was. And it's a completely opaque, non-transparent process. And like, oh, so if I want to pony up fifteen bucks a month, or or if I if I'm on iOS or twelve bucks a month, I can get actual service. What do you guys think? Do you remember uh, remember how net neutrality was a big deal like yep. 10 years ago? This is that same problem, but it's coming from the opposite end of where it was originally. Yep. <laughs> how so? <Yep. laughs> so net neutrality was the, uh, the ISPs were going to charge, for example, Netflix. They were going to charge them more to stream their data at a higher speed than other places. Basically, you could buy pride of place, um, but they were going to charge it towards the companies selling us stuff. And this is the reverse of that, where we have the other companies on the other end charging us for better access to them now. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And it's not the government doing it, but them doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah the government's because because in that the net neutrality the SEC said could could step in because of the way everything is set up no you can't do that mm-hmm. but they can't do it this way this is just businesses offering a service um, yeah interesting yeah yeah i i'm am, am i surprised no <laughs> like, that's i mean that's really when i read this i was just like okay yep <laughs> sounds sounds about right <laughs> and i wonder if it'll if it's going to backfire on them because people are going to say, uh, so Facebook is admitting that it's, it's pay to play. If I, if I'm not mm-hmm. shelling out money, I'm getting a bad experience. So why bother with Facebook anymore? I mean, honestly, I say this all the time when we talk about Facebook, I talk to so many people who only use Facebook because there's not a better option for them in their, their, their uh, social graph. If you want to use that word, they 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 have they would love to do use something else but they'd have to move everybody all at once to a different mm-hmm. place and that's that's hard so facebook only really if that's true only exists based on inertia <laughs> people yeah. people hate it mm-hmm. but they can't go anywhere yet and that is a terrible business model frankly <laughs> yeah I, I got rid of my facebook like 5 years ago and 
So I'm so out of the loop with what Facebook even does anymore, honestly. (laughs) I I feel bad even commenting on this because I'm just like, suckers. (laughs) I I got out a long time ago. I'm done. (laughs) I post so few things on Facebook these days on my personal page. You know, I, I mean, occasionally when there's a family event, I post things or I'll like other people's things, but I don't. I don't bother with the posting articles and having my wife has a rich uh, social network of friends and they, they post poetry and art and comment on faith and they have all, they have a, you know, this wonderful community that she's got, but I'm like, I just, I made the mistake of friending everyone who asked for to friend. And so now Mm -hmm. I have this friend list that isn't necessarily people I know. And you know, it's just, it's become, hassle and so i i'm with there with you i just don't use facebook as much as i used to and i spend a lot more time in discord on like mm-hmm. on the sqpn discord community but in other discords communities which tend to be i don't know for one thing focused for another thing non you know very transparent i can actually read everybody's posts uh, right so. and and more fruitful i feel like it i feel like the discord communities that um that i'm involved in are much more fruitful and and focused that's what mm-hmm. i really like like i know that there there are a couple that i'm involved in where i i know for a fact because i have been involved in overlapping communities with certain people that our politics very much disagree with each other or our views on faith very much disagree with each other but because we're in this gaming community together we talk about the game and right none of that matters because mm-hmm. we're talking about the game. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's the thing is, is yeah, the, the focus, the, the clear, because moderators, people are, people are scarred now and they know mm-hmm. we, you can't let this stuff in to this because we're about obsidian or we're about the Mac mm-hmm. or we're about gaming. And if we let politics or any of the culture war stuff in, it's a disaster and you'll destroy mm. the community. So I think people know that as far as meta and it's 15, $12 a month. No, I I'm not giving it to Twitter and I'm not giving it to Facebook. Sorry. That, <laughs> that's, that's like a Disney plus subscription and more. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the Mandalorian over that. Just for you to do your job. Yes. Just right. <laughs> right? Like... Exactly. Nope. Uh, next headline is actually, this kind of goes back to the AI thing in, um, it's an it's a it's an opinion piece. I think like a like a, a blog piece or an opinion piece uh, in the Hill, which is a, a political column. But the he, the author it's called "Killer Robots and AI's Dirty Little Secret." Many people prefer robots over humans, and the the thesis here is that you know people will choose to interact with what he calls robots. Um, in in daily life, they'll go to the self checkout. They'll use an ATM. They they say they prefer speed cam speed trap cameras over cops doing speed traps, you know, uh, so on and so forth. The military prefers drones, uh, you know, drone planes over piloted planes. And you know, what does it say about us? You know, and does it make people naive? Now, one of the problems with this article is he he conflates everything into robots when there certain things are clearly machine, right? Self-checkout mm-hmm. and ATM are not robots. They're just machines or computers. If I, if I go to the regular checkout with a person, they're using the same system. It's just 
a person is moving the thing over the scanner is a different person other than me. You know, same thing with an e with a you know a teller at a bank. I've had to go into the bank and that sort of thing. Um, machines that let people do the activity themselves instead of having an employee or the store of the store or bank to do it. But is are we losing something by using the machines instead of de of interacting with people um, from a human standpoint? Honestly, I think it really depends on the context. And like you were talking about with him conflating robots and machines, that kind of breaks his thesis for me, to be honest. But I, I think that I guess the example I would use is if I'm going to Kroger to get some milk, I just want to go through the self-checkout. But if I'm going to the little artisanal Italian food store or whatever, I want to talk to the guy who owns it, who's mm. who's selling it. So it's it really is a, a context thing for me. Right. Yeah. I would say it even, even bothers me like going to a store and there is no self-checkout. So I end up at a cash register with a cashier, but I spend so much time interacting with the machine anyway. <laughs> and it's like, I feel bad because there's this person there I should be interacting with, but I'm just looking at the screen trying to get my credit card to take or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I go, my, my local uh, grocery store has cell scanners, scan as you go through the store. So you scan and bag as you go so that when I get to the checkout, it's self-checkout. I scan a code on the hand scanner and it just I can complete my transaction in 20 seconds as opposed to, you know, the the whole process of taking everything out of the cart and putting it back in the cart. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So I love that. Um, but I also go to the farmer's market on Saturdays and I love talking to the mm -hmm. the lady who sells mm -hmm. me the the eggs and the guy the seafood guy and you know seeing them there every week and they know the kids and the kids have grown up in front of them that's a completely different thing you know one is just mm -hmm. merely functional I, and frankly even when at the grocery store I still interact with the person who's overseeing all the self checkout they recognize me they ask how my wife is doing how, how the kids are, the kids are getting big we have a lot of those interactions but it's just different it's not avoiding people I think it's just um it more efficient I guess mm -hmm. um the other thing I, I I point out he he goes into um uh, military drones and that sort of stuff and uh I think there's a there's a difference between autonomous robots with weaponry mm -hmm. versus a device that's being remote controlled that has weaponry. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a fundamental difference there that you that is a is a bright line. You know, as soon as you give a, 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 a autonomous machine the, the ability to kill <laughs> that crosses the line. Yeah, right. <laughs> On the other hand, just to point out. A lot of the guided missile systems out there are essentially fire and forget. You shoot it, you say, that's my target, follow it and hit it no matter what it does. And and it's essentially autonomous from that point. So it's not maybe it's not so much a bright line. So I don't know. But I mean, especially with the example of the military, I would rather use autonomous uh, vehicles and drones than put people in harm's way i mean there's a whole there's a whole ethical debate about that anyways but we're talking about people being harmed versus a machine being destroyed i would pick the machine being destroyed right mm. how long before it's robot versus robot and it's just battle bots yeah <laughs> let's do it man let's do it i'm, I'm in <laughs> <laughs> right right it would, it, would, it would dramatically change 
the way that people deal with war like oh man we might actually lose and you know it might cost us a dramatic amount of money to to you know just have these robots go against each other at, and nobody's dying that would be fantastic i'm in let's, let's yeah okay other uh, other point of view would be it might be easier for people to go to war if human lives are not at stake there might be more war than less if this if this, you're this is true but if it's just robots that are blowing up you know it's like yeah. then it's just uh who's got the belt right who's who's winning the competition we just put and, them in an arena and they just go at it in an arena no no yeah. humans involved yeah and that would see that would be see but see like it's like but you have to abide by the results like that's the agreement that comes up beforehand is like we're all going to abide by the results of this whatever it is yep here you go who can build which country could build the best bots that would be the question would be china russia the u.s (laughs) oh man which country would rule the world worms there (laughs) this may not be a better thing uh anyway So I'd be curious to, to to hear what folks say. That, you know, do you prefer to use the self service machines over talking to people, or is it a combination of things? So, last headline I just want to hit quickly is, is it's fascinating. Folks who have kids growing up, they might be interested in tech. This article talks about the the skills, the computer skills that are in top demand right right now. And it says that JavaScript, Java, and Python skills are in the highest demand, although they have the highest supply. This is, that's the most a majority of people who are also available to do these things. Um, but the ones that have the lowest supply with a high demand are um, I'm just I've been trying to find it here. The, oh, there's the my tab. <laughs> uh, TypeScript, Swift, Scala, Kotlin, and Go. I know one of those, maybe two. I think I've heard of TypeScript. Swift is the is Apple's programming language for all its you know all iOS and Mac devices, so um, the, that makes sense. But uh, you know, what do you guys think? Is this if kids want to get into a career as a programmer, what should they study? I think that you should study the basics of programming and probably learn some C before you do anything else, because <laughs> <laughs> that's going to give you a foundation. Yep, I would agree with that. Okay, yeah, all right. and it's going to cover all of those, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Python from there, you jumping to Python is going to be a piece of cake. You're going to be like, yeah. wow, well, I should have learned this one first. <laughs> it's going to be really easy. Um, if if you want a job that's going to be around forever, learn COBOL. <laughs> it's oh yeah, in it's ancient just, tech, yeah, it's still there. It was you know it was there in the 80s. It's still there now. Everybody was moving off of it in the 80s, quote unquote. And I can promise you, it is still very much alive and well, and going to be that way for the foreseeable future and running the airline industry. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it does. It's yep. just, it's good stuff. It just, it keeps, <laughs> it pays keeps well Yep. Good. So, and we'll have a link to those, uh, all those headlines in our show notes. So time to move on to our picks of the week. Uh, Jack, you're up first. What's your pick? Awesome. Uh, my pick of the week is an app called the insight timer meditation app. Um, it's kind of like a calm or headspace, um, but it's less, I don't know how to put this. Like it's less, um, corporate I guess would be a way to put it. It's more, it's like people are able to upload their own courses to it. Um, it's got a wide range of stuff. It's got, um, it's even got some uh, Catholic and Christian based courses um, on there. So um, if you're worried about like running into some, some things that might conflict with uh, the faith, uh, it's got a lot of good stuff on there, but I use it primarily for like the, the body grounding apps um, or meditations, uh, things like that. It's got like, the sleep sounds um and it's totally free there is a uh there's like a premium subscription but i've i've never even looked at that honestly 
Um, but it's it's free. It's on iOS and Android, and really like it. So it looks like it's got a variety of things. Like it's got people who give giving talks. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, calming music and so like courses, meditations, like guided meditations. Um, there's various looks like some various um, Eastern things, but also like someone reading the Velveteen Rabbit, which is kind of fun. Right? Yeah, it's got it's got a, a very wide array of things. I'm not sure about Russell Brand finding calm and serenity. That would be fast. I almost want to download it just to, to hear that. Uh, it's on their website. That's kind of cool. I like that. And it's because it's non-corporate and it can be free. That makes it different from, from the other ones. So, right. Cool. It's like so, a crowdsourced kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That's cool. Excellent. All right. And Thomas, what's your pick this week? Okay, so my pick is kind of an offbeat one. Um, I have kids that are really into Legos, and uh, they've been building a lot of random stuff. And I got them this program called LeoCAD, L-E-O-C-A-D. And it is a CAD program for building Legos. And it has the entire inventory of Legos. And you can build something in a CAD program out of Legos and then get a list of the Legos that went into that build and go on like brick finder and and buy the bricks and make your set. So if you ever wondered how people do the these things where they like make their own creations that then get up this, this is how they do it is this kind of thing. <laughs> wow. Windows, Linux and Mac OS. My kids love the Brickit app which is mm-hmm. um it it does a couple of things but it it you can lay out all your Lego on the floor, take a picture of it and it identifies all the pieces and then tells you what you could build from all the pieces that it saw, which is yeah, awesome. Uh, it was a previous pick of the week. Uh, but it also has all of the different Lego models in it that you could just look at and be, for inspiration. This is the next step. This is the, you know, the mm-hmm. next step up from that. Um, I think I'm going to be putting this on their laptop and this is going to consume them for some time. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of awesome. Uh, it really is. It's a blast. And and I, I will tell you, it's tactile. Dialy very satisfying because the things click together uh, <laughs> the way you would expect them to. So you're not like yeah. trying to wiggle them around and, and get them. No, you, you put a brick down, you put another brick on top, you, you place it on a stud. It actually fits the way it's supposed to fit. It's nice. very nice. That's awesome. And uh, open source free. Uh, yes, it is. Yes. So as, it's, uh, as I would expect. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. So my pick this week is, uh, so, I don't know if this has become a big thing just since the pandemic or what, but uh, people are super into bird watching these days and finding birds, especially of kids. Uh, I know my family has always been, and my daughter, my daughter can identify birds by sight and sound. She can hear a, a bird song and she say this, like the ones that from, from around us in the Northeast anyway. Um, she's really gotten really good at it, but I am not so good at it. And I've, I've used a couple different apps over the years and they're all pretty good. But this one is that I'm picking this week is called the Merlin bird ID. It comes from Cornell university. They have a lab of ornithology there, which is really famous and really good. And they have this app that you can download bird packs. So for your region, and it will identify birds based on either your description, like it would look like this, it was this size, you know, this body type or whatever, or it, you can have it record all the birds singing in your environment. And then it will try to identify each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are all the birds that you're hearing. Um, or if you've got a photo 
uh, whether it's a photo you've taken like off of uh, off of a web page or something, or you've taken the photo, it will I uh, try to ID the bird from the photo. And the photo is gonna be tricky because you got to get a pretty good shot. It's that blurry photo from sixty feet away up in the tree is probably not <laughs> gonna work. Um, but you know something a little closer. Uh, and then it'll let's you know keep your your life list. If you're a birder, you know that a life list is a list of all the birds you've ever identified in your life. It's a it's kind of a thing for for birders, um, and so on and so forth. And then you then you can find out what kind of birds you can expect to see in your environment. Uh, so it it's really cool. It comes it's, uh, iOS and uh, Android, and um, they it's free. I think it's free. I haven't had to pay anything. Uh, but they do ask you to donate because it's, you know, Cornell University. It's a it's a university. So they're going to be looking for support for the lab. So uh, Merlin it's Bird cool. ID. Yeah. I, I've been waiting for someone to develop a way to hear birdsong and identify it. That's been a bit of a holy grail. <laughs> I was I was probably 39 years old when I first realized that the uh, the Fleetwood Mac song, I think it's Fleetwood Mac, the the just like the white winged dove sings song sounds like it's singing. I think it's, a, it's yes. I realized that they're actually singing the white winged doves, uh, bird call. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. I am 54. <laughs> my kids asked me that. to look it up. I was like, <laughs> Oh, look at that. There you go. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, I didn't. I'm now I'm 54 and I learned that. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you, once you've learned a bird song, you hear it. Like you, you hear it singing, you go, mm-hmm. Oh, that's a mockingbird. Oh, that's a morning dove. I mean, a morning dove's an easy one. I mean, it's, a, it's not that hard. Um, but you know, the the, the various birds. You know, in these, it's fun when you begin to recognize and notice the environment around you, and and so that's really cool. And I'm really, this really is a great help for that. Excellent. So that should do it from us this time. We'd love to get your feedback on our discussion and anything we talked about today. You can do so by commenting on the show at sqpn.com/technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia, which is ironic, given what we just talked about, or send us an email to <laughs> technology at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. We're having some great conversations there. You can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash TEC200, Tech200. Follow Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also hit the bell to get notifications. We'd like to thank James for research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Thomas and Erho, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Technology. It's been great. Thanks, Tom. Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.